0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and me. How are you this morning?
1: I'm good. You're good this morning? I've I've started a new strategy where I put my phone, my phone is my alarm clock, like over on my desk, which I have to get up for. And it's, <laughs> I still go back to bed, <laughs> but it was good because my alarm went off at like four thirty, and I was like, "Okay, I'm awake." And then I can still have my cheeky like half hour snooze, and then I'm awake. <laughs> like I'm the person who needs my alarm far earlier than I actually need to be up. Right. <laughs> I was just looking. his like, "There's this mm. thing
0: called the the snooze function."
1: Oh yeah, no, but I will too much. Like I'll so just I'll, keep hitting the snooze, snooze button. I'll snooze it for an hour. Like.
0: like just, but it goes off every ten minutes.
1: Yeah.
0: And you just keep hitting it. I just every- keep snoozing it. <laughs> <laughs> There's also this thing called self-control.
1: Yeah, but when you're sleepy, that's really hard. <laughs> it's so hard.
0: Ah, that's <laughs> ethic, But when you get up and get to the other side of the room,
1: oh, that I'm does, ca- yeah. does, does
0: kind of wake you up. Yeah,
1: well, you have to get up because yeah. you're like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. But it, it won't I suspect be it will
0: be even more effective come winter.
1: Winter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the hardest part, right? Just getting out of a warm bed. How are you feeling this morning? Fantastic. Oh, good. Amazing. Nice. Any particular reasons just feeling good?
0: Life is, God is good.
1: Are you a morning person in general out of curiosity? Like this is morning radio. Okay,
0: so there's no such thing as a morning person or an evening person. Those things are a decision. They are a choice.
1: Oh, I don't know. I've met a couple of people that they They are are loving life at like, 5 a.m. And then others are like, I just need half an hour, just don't talk to
0: me. (laughs) (laughs) They're a choice. It takes three years to uh, change over. Three years? Ah, Maybe six months. (laughs) Maybe three weeks. I don't know. You can swap from one to the other. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, Minnie. Let's have some positive, positively different news. What have you
1: got for us this morning? Okay. Well, actually, Shell got me onto this story this morning. Uh, so, Lego. We all know Lego. Lego, Lego is great. Super That's fun. Producer Shell. Yeah, producer Shell. That yes. is yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but le- well, actually, Lego is great until you stand on it. That's the downside. But so Lego Lego has just released, or they're going to be releasing Braille bricks. So the concept is a play based me- methodology that teaches Braille to children who are blind or have a visual impairment. So unlike your normal braille, I mean, not braille, Lego bricks, you know, which have you just normal, you know, you can stack them up and build cool stuff. This specifically, it has um, both the numbers and letters written on it, but also the braille, um, oh, what's it called? I guess formation of letters, so, you know, for what yep, you might little, have the, the little,
0: little braille, little lumpy things that you can read from. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Yeah. so you know, if it's like an L, it would have that, so both people who can see well can read it, and so you can kind of play together. And also the braille bumps, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. And they're using this for you know, they're using this for English, for literacy, for math mathematics. They're using it for language, so they're, you know, teaching Spanish or whatever. That's and, cool. Yeah, right. And so yeah, they're just seeing this saying this is a play based. Can't even speak this morning. Play based method of learning, um, and yeah, they're just finding that people are really enjoying it. One of the teachers said that he, you know, got them out, and the kids were just loving making up games, and you know, he's they didn't want to give them back. And I just think this is cool. I actually, I think Lego is a really cool company. Um, something I only found out this morning is that it's from the word, what Legot? I guess in Danish, and it means to play well. And I was like, I didn't know that. I just know Lego is in fun. It's- nah, Lego is like one of the maybe. most
0: ultimate toys ever made.
1: Oh, it's the best.
0: I mean, who didn't grow up on Lego? Yeah, and it's just it's just epically good.
1: Oh, absolutely, always any age. Yes, like
0: <laughs> my wife is addicted to Lego.
1: Hey, look, there are worse addictions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I I think that's a really cool story. I um yeah you know I'm studying primary teaching. I'm open to having some Lego in the classroom.
0: Well I think it's kind of cool when kids uh, don't realize they're actually studying and are uh, playing, but they're learning while they're playing.
1: Well, that's the best way to learn anything, I reckon.
0: You know it's interesting you know when they train dogs mm. um, and train working dogs. When a dog is actually working, it never knows that it's working. Mm. A dog always thinks it's playing. I mean, you can train a dog to be, say, a bomb detection dog or a drug detection dog. And you go to the airport and you have those sweet little dogs that run around and sniff your luggage and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Those dogs don't realize that they're working.
1: Oh, right
0: they have no idea so they're, just they're like,
1: working Ooh, it's a big game that's right it's like it's <laughs>
0: my favorite thing to do let's do this this is so much fun and they get out there and they do it and it's just a big game for them Interesting. And, uh, and and the key to training a dog effectively is to is for it to never figure out it's working to always mm. be playing it's always a game
1: I feel like As humans we haven't gotten onto that, but I actually reckon if we could, you'd have more efficient workers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed you would. Can
1: you imagine like, oh, we get to go play today? (laughs) Like
0: there are some jobs. That might be challenging.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No, but it's true, we learn far more when you're, you know, having fun with something. Well they
0: say if you're passionate about what you what you do for a living, you never work a day in your life.
1: They say that. I, I still think every job has moments <laughs> every, but
0: <laughs> every job has moments but I this is very true this is this is part of living in the world that we live in
1: it is it is yes and another news story so we're going over to South Africa so food waste is a big problem so before covid struck they said they estimated that nearly a quarter of the people go to bed hungry and then obviously you know covid came and so you had millions more lose their jobs and you know just there's just other problems that um, they didn't really go into. But one feeding scheme in Johannesburg has is standing out as something a little bit different because obviously a whole bunch of schemes have started, you know, saying, oh, people are hungry, you know, what do we do about this? Uh, but this one is specifically about trying to save the food that would just go to an incinerator and be lost uh, because apparently there's about 12.6 million tons of produce every year that gets pretty much just thrown out or destroyed. And so NOSH, N-O-S-H, Food Rescue, is part of a group of organizations. Basically, they've come together to form what they're calling Chefs with Compassion. And it starts at the market. So they go kind of, you know, I guess talk to a whole bunch of different people, make connections where they can. They collect the food, um, take it to a place which they call just the share house. So they collect it from anywhere. They collect it from farmers, restaurants, retailers, hotels, you know, wherever has surplus that they're just going to pretty much just biff. And yeah, they come and then they sort it for collection. And then it goes out to the different places. And the policy is to have zero wastage. So nice. You know, if they have mm, like a cabbage or something that you know it's edible, but kind of the outside's looking a bit yucky, like mm, don't really want to cook that up.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, when you grow your own garden, right? Oh yeah. And of course, you know, I grew up on a on, on a on a property where we grow grew most of our own food. Yeah, you never throw that stuff out. You peel off those dodgy leaves on the outside, and you it's perfect on the inside. Oh
1: no, exactly, and that's what they're doing.
0: It's just you can't sell it in the supermarket because people are like, oh, I don't want to buy that. It looks a
1: bit funny. Yeah, yeah. but There's with that, wrong with even it. with the stuff that they're peeling off, they give it to the local pig farmers because their whole thing is we don't want to waste anything. Oh
0: wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, because that's the thing they're going. You can eat this. Um, and there, there, was one worker there that she just says, um, that the feeding hungry is a joy that you cannot express. And she said, particularly, you know, if you see a child that, you know, who comes into the gate with an empty plate and they leave with a full one, she's like, oh, it just makes me so happy. And that makes sense. Right. Because I think anytime, you know, people, like if you're in a community where people are, you know, hungry, chances are, if you know your community, you're going to know some of those people. Absolutely. And, you know, depending on what your resources are, sometimes you don't have enough of your own to share with everybody. But I think it's there's something special about having those relationships. There's something like, yes.
0: that we can all do. Yes. Regardless of whether we have resources or not, we have the resource of our our time, our abilities and our health. There's, there is always something that we can do.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's figuring that out. That can feel tricky, but absolutely.
0: It's one of the things that's... You know, um, kind of a little bit of a, a little bit sad about living in, um, in a country where you have social security and this kind of stuff because it, it, in many ways discourages generosity, mm. because you see all of these needs. It's like, yeah, but the government takes care yeah, of it. Yeah,
1: someone them. else to deal with it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Mm. Whereas when you live in a country where that doesn't happen, where there is no safety net, uh, I think it encourages generosity
1: it's funny hey i remember when i was in india and i went to one of the slums in um mumbai and we just got talking to people who were there and one of the things they this one fella, i think his name was sid he said to me he's like you know people who go out and beg on the streets he said often they come back to the slums because he's like the person who lives next door to you they may only earn four dollars a day but if you need something they'll give you their you know two or three of those dollars if you need help you know and he was just it was interesting to me that it I saw so much poverty when I was there. Sure. Because there was no social security, right? That's right. So you have this kind of beautiful community aspect, but there's massive problems there too. But then you have the flip side where, yeah, come to Australia. We're a lot better in a lot of ways, but we don't have that same connection to people.
0: We don't. We don't have that same connection. We don't have that same generosity. And, you know, when you look back at the history of having social security and that kind of thing, it was always, you know, it was initially invented as a, uh, in in the United States, as a short term thing to Mm -hmm. help people through the depression. Yeah, it's just, you know, stayed ever since, but it never <coughs> used to exist before then. Yep, and we used to be—I believe we used to be more generous, and I think it's—I think it's good for the human soul to be generous. Yeah, fully. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. There you go. Okay, so talking about more serious news, we uh, have headline news in the Newcastle Herald, mm-hmm. um, which is the headline news is lockout. Lunacy Oh, hey Yeah, 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 yeah And this is one of the few times that I'm like Yeah, these guys are right on the money here they are um, talking about the removal of lockout laws for pubs and clubs. And of course, these lockout laws came in, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, sort of across New South Wales, uh, in an effort to stem violence and have been very, very effective in doing so. They've saved a lot of lives, they've saved a lot of money, they've saved a lot of um, police work, mm. they've saved a lot of work for hospitals and AMBOs and they've meant that a lot of inner city residents have got better sleep at night yeah. you know and the list just goes on and on and on about the benefits that have come from these lockout laws and of course we're now living in a situation where people are saying you know we need to relax these laws, we need to get rid of them, we need to uh, you know we, we can we can recover the COVID, uh, you know the, the economy that's been broken by COVID by allowing people to drink more alcohol etc 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 and Newcastle Herald is. Come out with lockout lunacy, (laughs) and of course they are reporting from the uh, local police commander, who has stated that this is absolutely lunacy. And his his argument is, you know, we shouldn't be looking at relaxing the laws until the level of assaults comes down. Mm. And right now, this area has assaults that are four times higher than the New South Wales average. Oh. So this is just a ridiculous time to be, you know, talking about removing these particular laws. And, of course, this has come about because they've been running this trial and we're three months into the trial so far, and the trial was to allow longer opening hours for... for longer hours for small restaurants and small like kind of boutique bars to stay open and to sell alcohol. Now, I think we should just get rid of alcohol altogether. Problem solved. That would do amazing things for our economy because alcohol is one of those things. Yes, people spend money on it and people need to spend money for the economy to work, but it is unproductive money. And not only is it unproductive money, but it costs the economy because of the disease and the trauma that is is associated yeah, right. with it. It's not positive in any way for the economy. And so uh, we're three months into this trial of, you know, they've been keeping these, um, you know, boutique bars and restaurants have been allowed to sell alcohol longer and the argument has been you don't get these big groups of, of, say, young people that are going on a pub crawl or something or other when they're going to, you know, a little restaurant or something or other. It just doesn't really happen that way. Mm. And so we're three months into that trial and people are saying, well, there hasn't been a, a dramatic increase in violence and so we need to look at... Um, the next stage is pubs and clubs, and the police have suddenly gone. Wait, 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 wait a minute! This is not a slippery slope. When we were in the discussions about you know these smaller premises, we were guaranteed that this discussion would never go to include the larger mm-hmm. ones. And now the trial isn't even finished, and we're talking about the larger ones, and we want to remove the laws for the larger ones, while the assault. Average is four times higher than the New South Wales average for the region. I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. The, uh, let me see here, I'm going to try and get this title correct here. Um, Dr. John Grozier, who is the chair of the Royal Austro- Australasian College of Surgeons National Trauma Committee. All right. So that's kind of long. Yeah. Has. You know, stated that you know the lockout laws that came in you know back in 2010 and around that era. He says that the benefits have been significant and sustained. Hmm. Um. Now, what what's interesting about this is that um, the Australian Hotels Association has is one of the most significant um, and generous. Political donors in existence. Okay, so the mo- the biggest political donor is Palmer's uh, company to Palmer's party, um, but the second biggest or the third biggest is the Australian Hotels Association. And so they've donated uh, two hundred fifty three two hundred fifty three thousand dollars to the uh, Labor Party, uh, the Federal Labor Party. Now the reason it's gone to the federal government. Rather than to to the New South Wales government, the local government, is because in 2010, political donations from companies selling alcohol was banned. Two. At a state level, but not at a federal oh. level. So they're like, "Well, we can't really influence through checkbook politics at the state level." So that only leaves us the uh, federal, federal level, and so they do it through the federal level. And then uh, federal <laughs> colleagues, you know, maybe you can have a word to your state colleagues. Yeah, you know. yes, yes see, we all see, we all know how political donations uh. work, right? They have made uh, some donations to the uh, Liberal Party, but. Uh, relatively insignificant donations to the Cheeky. Liberal Party in comparison to what they've been donating to the Labor Party. And it's like, yeah, okay, we want you to uh, extend the laws now because, well, you know, we and are generous.
1: This is the thing, right? I don't I don't like things being like a bit sneaky. So they're like, oh, it's for the economy. And I'm like, as you said, there are a whole bunch of other factors that affect right. our economy that you're going, Absolutely. oh, you mean right now, but what about all the other things? So even the, like the police going... This is a problem. Your okay. healthcare system is going. This is a problem. There are all these other yes. extended things, and I'm like, mm, you're using the economy. You just want it. Do you know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. This is not good for the economy. I mean, mm. alcohol is a class one carcinogen. Mm. You know, this is this is something that is up there with nicotine. It is up there with asbestos. You know, and you're drinking that into your body and you're thinking that and, and and the uh you know the alcohol and gaming guys are saying, Oh, this is good for the economy. No, this is not good for the economy. This is terrible for the economy. This is costing the economy bucket loads of money because the economy has to play for policing, it has to play for ambos, it has to pay for healthcare, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And it is non productive spending. You know, there's a difference between when you spend something on alcohol in the economy and when you spend something on, say, renovating your house, which is something Mm. I'm spending money on at the moment, because, you know, that's productive. When my house is finished, it's going to, you know, there will be a, a profit from that. Uh that's that's what's you know that's building something into the economy that is going to be there for a long time to come and you know someone else will buy the house and somebody else will rent the house or whatever it might be mm. that is actually productive to the economy this is not productive this is just taking money mm. and urinating it
1: <laughs> pretty much it's a very polite way
0: of describing the way that uh, when I was a tradie my mates used to talk about
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) what they would do with their paycheck over the weekend. But
1: I think honestly because you, I get a bit, this is a topic I get a bit mm, funny about because I'm like, I have quite a few people who have said this to me. They're like, oh, but yeah, economy. And I'm like, okay. All right, let's just say that's a good enough reason. You look at how much dysfunction comes from that, like on a relational level. Okay, right? This
0: is the next issue, right? You've just highlighted the next big issue. Mm. Yes, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, you see that in family breakdown. You, then you see it just goes into everything, right? You look at our justice systems, like how many people have just abuse issues or um, addictions or, man, I'm studying primary teaching. I know kids who come in with fe- fetal alcohol syndrome. And I'm like, dude, don't you mess with kids. Like, just don't do it. Like, there's just, it's just this broad spectrum all across society that it's, it's making a mess. It's of. like when
0: we bought our house, you know, we bought our house on the principle of the three R's. What were they? No, the three D's uh, debt, divorce, and the bank. Oh. Um, because that's where you got the get the good deals. But our, our real estate agent was like, oh, yeah, you know, all of our houses are divorced. All, all, everything we're selling is because of divorce.
1: Whoa. You know,
0: and, and that was probably an exaggeration. Mm. But that was an interesting statement. And how much does alcohol have to do with that? You know, the social cost of alcohol is absolutely enormous. Anyway, I've had been keeping a couple of stories up my sleeve here, and they just—I run out of time every day. (laughs) You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
1: Okay, so we're we're kind of stumped
0: here this morning. Yeah, David, welcome to the show, David. (laughs) Hello, David.
2: Hi. Good morning, Lyle, and good morning, to your listeners.
0: Welcome to the show, David. Um, I have missed the last couple of weeks while you, while I've been away. Uh, but I understand that we've been having a bit of a discussion here. Minnie, is this correct about conflict? Conflict and resolution. Conflict yeah. resolution. And uh, today we're going to talk about the pause button. Uh, before we do, David, I'm just wondering whether you can give me a bit of a, uh, a, a catch, a very brief catch-up, so that. Yeah, just film sure. in a little bit on what we've talked about.
2: Sure, it would be a, pr- a pleasure. Uh, you know, we live today in a world that is filled with conflict. We've got conflict in, uh, in the world itself, between nations. We've got conflict in our homes, in our workplace. We've got conflict in our churches. We've got conflict in ourselves often. And it just decimates especially the Christian witness because the world out there looks into the Christian church and the Christian home and says uh, they're no different to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, uh, that's the reason why we chose to talk about this issue of, of conflict. And the Bible is quite challenging because Jesus talks about when I'm dealing with a conflicting brother or sister or spouse or colleague, I must first look for the log in my own eye. Yes. Um, to look into ourselves uh, is quite difficult, challenging, because we tend to say, you made me angry. Is that a true statement?
0: No. Anger <laughs> is a choice.
2: It's a choice that we, we make. And uh, we so often have that deadly saying that says, all I said was... In other words, trying to to put on the other person the um, you know the, the responsibility for the conflict that is currently raising. Jesus doesn't forbid us helping someone else to take the speck out of their own eye, but he actually says challenges us to first look at what is in our own heart that might have led to that conflict. Now a rule that we actually can live by in conflict resolution is to recognize that even if my contribution is only 2% to the argument, just never state that in marriage, okay? But if I have contributed only 2% to a conflict, I'm in actual fact, 100% responsible for that 2%. And that 2% could have been the contributor that actually triggered and sparked that massive uh, argument and fight in, in the relationship. So we need to ask ourselves really the question, is it worth fighting over? Interesting that Proverbs, wisest man that ever lived, wrote the book of Proverbs. In chapter 19, verse 11 says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Mm-hmm. So, coming to the specific point of discussion today, let's imagine in a marital situation, a spouse has neglected to say something, neglected to do something, and it has triggered things within me and which I know out of experience, it's going to lead to conflict. How can I navigate through that moment?
0: Mm, mm.
2: So that's where we're heading.
0: That's where we're heading. And you mentioned something about you know hitting. You mentioned something to me earlier about uh, hitting the pause button. And I guess there's been a few times in in life where I think probably many of us have wished that we had a remote control for life that you know has fast-forward, rewind, pause, stop, all of those kind of things attached to it so that uh, we could better control situations. Yeah. How do we actually go about hitting the pause button and what does that actually do?
2: Before I go there, let me mention two things. We are thin-skinned with how others are treating us and we are very thick-skinned in the way that we treat other people. Mm -hmm. A sign of maturity, and here I'm putting the pressure on each one of us, a sign of maturity is when we can in actual fact flip those two over and become thick skinned in the way that other people treat us and extremely thin-skinned, in other words, acutely sensitive on how we treat other people. Uh, a, A second principle is what I call the golden rule in conflict resolution, and that is the first person that's willing to have an admission that they have contributed to a conflict normally triggers an admission from the other person. And it's so much easier for two people that are on a warring path to come back together in a mutual agreement to resolve the the issues. So your question is, how do we press the pause button? Mm. I think there's some biblical guidance that we uh, should look at. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 4, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. In other words, what is this war raging in my own heart? Uh, Lyle, when someone says something, there's over 200 new messages that fires in my brain per minute. In other words, without me even realizing it, that tone of voice, the the facial expression, the word that has been used by the other person, sometimes innocently, sometimes not actually triggers memories of past experiences which I actually use as lenses to look at what that individual has said or done so I'm not listening to someone from out of the perspective of a, a blanket sheet you know sheet of paper it actually is already filled in with things that will cause me to trip up and therefore, I need first, before I even respond, I need to press that pause button and say, hang on, this relationship is too important for me. Before I respond, I first need more information. I so often work with couples that are in conflict with each other and After listening to them for a while, I asked them this question. I said, uh, whom of you are ready with your answer even before your spouse is finished talking?
0: Mm. even
2: Even before we know exactly where the other one is coming from, we have already analyzed and created a response to what they are saying. Or is it to what they haven't said yet or not even saying mm. because we've not really been able to hear them them fully out? So if we use the pause, the word pause as an acronym, uh, we will see that P stands for to prepare. You know, we need wisdom uh and Proverbs talks about the wisdom of the prudence is to understand his way. And and therefore, if we could make a rule in our life as the P in the pause acronym to first take time, shoot a prayer up to heaven, Lord, give me clarity of mind so that I can really understand where the other person is coming from. Um, if they have finished their sentence or their statement before we even formulate our own concept, what if we would rather respond by asking clarifying questions um, and, and and say, I really want to understand what you're trying to say. Can you just unpack that a little bit more for me?
0: Okay, because, so when we, because... when we talk about using the pause button, it's not a matter of just, okay, let's not talk about this anymore and just shutting down, moving on, bottling it all up and pausing the conversation, it's pausing that initial emotional reaction. Would that be a more accurate way of – Very
2: true. Very true. Your listeners will recall in our first session I spoke about the um, the way that we so often deal with uh, conflict. The one is an escape route by – pausing and just walking away ignoring the situation is a form of escape it doesn't resolve the problem we're actually running away from the problem and aggravated and the worst case scenario uh we actually commit suicide uh it is also an ultimate form of of escapism we are running away from the problem not resolving it Mm -hmm. so so we we're not talking here about um you know, trying to run away from our problem. We actually want to have clarity of mind, clarity of thought and understanding of what that person is really trying to say. Mm. And this is where uh, asking questions for clarification is so important. Um, If it is a, a very important issue, Uh, I can say to my spouse, this is so important for me to understand you correctly. Would you mind if I go and pray about this before I respond to you? Because I want us, I want to be on the same level as what you are. And I want to try and understand where you're coming from. Right. The the, the second uh, in in that acronym, and I realize our time is short, so I'm I'm just going to muster forwards, please stop me at any time, is the letter A in pause, and that is to affirm our relationship. If in the situation that you referred to, if I would just say, you know... (sighs) I'm going to turn my back on this. I'm I'm going to walk away. Uh, I'm not even going to see this as important enough to respond to. This becomes really destructive to relationships, and we so often do it. Um, The the second letter, the A, the affirming of relationship, where I would say to my spouse, um, I just need a bit of time to think about this. A relationship is so important for me. And I need to first make contact with God, work through this. And because when I come back, I want our relationship to be better off. And you are sending a strong message to the other person that is affirming the relationship. And they will actually see it then not as a escape a way of dealing through escapism but rather that you are affirming this relationship between them and yourself the third one in the acronym of pause is the letter U to understand the interest take time to understand what the other person really wants and cares about Philippians 2 verse 1 to 4 says not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of the other now Lyle analyze the last don't tell us about it but analyze the last conflict that you had observed um, is it fair to say that two people were arguing two people that loved each other were arguing because they were actually fighting for their own interests
0: yeah I think that um, if I was honest selfishness is probably at the root of all conflicts and arguments
2: Yeah, and that is happening right across the world. We all look at things from out of our own perspective. What if we would actually ask the question, what is the interest? What sits behind what my spouse, what my colleague, what my, my child have just said? What is their desires? What is behind? Uh, what is their interest? And is it possible that I can, in actual fact, um, respond to those interests in a positive way? When we fall in love, it's very interesting that two people falling in love look out for the interest of each other half an hour in front of the pulpit with a, a golden tourniquet around their finger, it seems as though suddenly the eyes are turned away from the interest of the other to self-interest, which forms the foundation of conflict. The, the next letter is the S in the word PAUSE, which stands for Search for Creative Solutions if I have fully listened to what my spouse is saying and um, I have clarified that that is what they are really attempting to present and I then take time out to look at possible solutions and I come back with a whole menu of ways in which we can uh, deal with it and I invite my spouse to tell me how each one of them would sit with them and we, we look after the interest of the other, there will be a far greater resolution of conflict than escalation of conflict.
0: And the final one, very quickly, David, if you could uh, just uh, take us through to E, E on the end. E
2: is for evaluate, in other words, It is vital that we always evaluate, come back and see whether the choice that we've made in those things of of how to resolve it uh, does really work. If not, then we need to uh, realign ourselves and make sure that we can uh, positively resolve our conflict for both interests.
0: Mm, Fantastic, David. Thank you so much for taking us through the pause conflict, the pause concept of dealing with conflict. So that was prepare, affirm relationship, understand what's going on, search for creative solutions, and evaluate. Uh, Good lessons to uh, live by.
1: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at
2: 1-800-FAITH-FM.